Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. When James tells us to pray for one another in James 5, one of the results, according to James, is the forgiveness of the person you're praying for. James says, if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. But how could that be? Isn't forgiveness of sins based on the interactions between the sinner himself and God? Why would you need someone else to pray for you in order to be forgiven of your sins? Well, after 15 years of faithful service, it's over for our refrigerator at home. It died last week. It, uh, the, the compressor went out. They said in order for to get that thing going again, we would, ha- we would need a new compressor. There's no way to fix it. So that's actually how it is with most things that break down. If they break, you have to go in and replace the broken part in order to get it up and running. That's how it is with machines, but not with bodies. The body, a, a living body is different because the body heals itself. Isn't that amazing? I got about a week or so, a couple weeks ago, I got I cut my thumb, and uh, now it's fine. It's gone. The cut is it's just it's gone. See what happened when I when I got that cut was uh, m- first my body sent all kinds of stuff to that area and fixed the problem. First it sent um, platelets. To, to clot that blood, make sure it would stop bleeding. Then it sent a bunch of white blood cells to go and kill the germs so there wouldn't be an infection. And then it sent fibroblast cells into that area, which actually have the ability to generate new skin. Just make it. Just make new tissue. And so my body just sent all that stuff to that little area and no more cut. It's, it's gone. That's the way the body is. You break a bone, you wait a while, it's not broken anymore. The rest of the body comes to the rescue of that broken part and restores it to health. That's the way bodies work. The closing section of the book of James is all about how to restore a broken church culture back to good spiritual health. Throughout the book, James has been diagnosing all these problems, one after another, showing us where we're broken and things that need to be restored. But the solution to all that broken stuff in the church body is not to call some outside repairman to come in and replace the broken members with new ones, right? We're more like a body than a machine. We're, we're called the body of Christ, not the refrigerator of Christ, right? And so, so when something goes wrong in the church, the solution that James gives us is for all of the various parts of the body to bring healing to the sick parts, See, when, when, when you, if you fall into sin, the body should not withdraw from you. The body should come around you. Everyone should move toward you if you sin and, and not away from you so that we all come close and all the platelets and the white blood cells and everything in the rest of the body comes and fights against the infection of sin and destroys the germs and restores what's broken. That's the way God designed the church to function. And at one time or another, every single one of us is the laceration in the body. Every single one of us at one point is the broken bone that needs everyone to come and fix us, right? Like we said before, your spiritual life is a community project. In fact, even your forgiveness, being forgiven by God for your sins is a community project. 
um, to some degree. Look what happens to the guy in verse 15. Um, it says, if he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Okay, so the guy gets forgiveness of sin. How does that happen? How does he get forgiven? Look at this. In verse 14, he says, I mean, the guy is sick. He gets sick uh, in, in verse 14. And then he has the elders come and they pray and he ends up being forgiven. As a result of the elders coming and praying for him. How does that happen? How can the role, how can elders play a role in you being forgiven of your sins? We see the same thing in Mark chapter 2, where, remember, the four guys came and they brought the paralytic to Jesus, but they couldn't get him there because of the crowds. So they go up on the roof, and Mark 2 4 says, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw, look at this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why the friend's faith? Why, why doesn't he say, when, I saw, when he saw the man's faith and he forgave his sins? Why the friend's? I mean, all that stuff that the Bible says about how you have to confess to God and you have to repent of your sin and you have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and on the basis of your faith in Christ, you'll be forgiven. Is all that stuff canceled now? You're forgiven based on someone else's faith? No, no. Everything the Bible says about confession and repentance still stands... In fact, I think the sick guy in James 5.15, who's the guy who's forgiven after the elders pray, he did confess his sins. I know he confessed his sins. We, it, it doesn't mention that, it doesn't actually say that, but we know it's true. We can figure it out logically from the word therefore in, in, in verse, at the beginning of verse 16. Because uh, he says, is anyone of you sick? He should call. And, and, and the elders come and they pray. And if he sinned, then he'll be forgiven. Therefore... You confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. How can he draw that conclusion unless the guy confessed his sins? What he's saying there is, since he did what he did, you also confess your sins for healing, which implies he confessed his sins. So, So he did confess his sins. That's the implication. So where do the elders fit in then? If he confessed his sins, if it's just what we thought, where, where he confesses his sin, he repents of his sin, then by, based on his faith in Christ, he receives forgiveness. If that's how it works, if that's what happened, then where do the elders fit in? How does their prayer matter? Well, the sick guy did confess his sins, but evidently that didn't happen until the elders came and prayed for him. The elders came and prayed for him, anointed him with oil, refreshed him, encouraged him, exhorted him, did everything they could to bring about spiritual restoration where it was needed. And that activated the guy's faith. My guess is the same thing happened back in Mark 2 with the paralytic. Maybe his faith was faltering and and weak and he was caught up in some sin, but his friend's faith was so strong and so steadfast and resolute and insistent and persistent that that by the time they managed to get him down, lower down in front of Jesus, the, the, the paralytic's faith was stimulated and activated and strengthened. See, we need each other's help. Look again at verse 15. That phrase translated, if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. It's an interesting phrase. Literally, it's this. If sins he has committed, it will be forgiven him. If sins he has committed, it will be forgiven. The word if 
we remember it reminds us that the illness may or may not be because of sin. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, we don't know. Uh, we shouldn't automatically assume if someone's sick it's because of sin because it may, may or may not be. But sin is one possible scenario, one possible reason why he's, he's sick. And that scenario, the scenario that James is pointing us to here is, is one in which the sins are plural. If sins he has committed. So maybe he's pointing to like a period of sin or a group of sins that this guy's committed having the consequence of this illness now. And, and then we have that phrase, it will be forgiven him. And that's a very familiar phrase from the Old Testament. It comes out, comes out of the book of Leviticus. You see that exact same phrase in the Greek translation of Leviticus over and over and over, all the way through that book. It's all through it. And it's used to describe, every time it's used to describe what happens when the priest would offer a particular sacrifice for someone's sin. So in in the Old Testament time, uh, you sin, you go to a priest, the priest offers a sacrifice for that sin, and then it says, when that happens, it will be forgiven to him. Literally, it will be forgiven to him which is the exact same phrase that James uses. So he's taken this very familiar phrase out of the book of Leviticus, and, and by doing that, he's calling to mind what happened in Leviticus. He's calling to mind something that is analogous to the priestly intercessory atonement offerings, where the priests are doing that. He's saying that just as the priest interceded with God to bring forgiveness to the sinner, so it is in the church. That's what we do for each other in the church. We bring God's forgiveness to the one who sinned, to the person among us who's fallen into sin. We bring forgiveness, and we do so not by offering a sacrifice like the priest did, but by helping that person believe. And so the strength of our faith and the strength of our prayers might make the difference between that guy being restored and forgiven or not. Because our faith will inspire his faith. We need to have... And this, that's, a, that's a good word for some of the modern day faith healers who are so quick to blame the sick person when it doesn't work. Right? They try to heal someone, it doesn't work, and they say, well, you don't have enough faith. But what does this passage say? The faith that brings the healing in James chapter 5 is not the faith of the sick guy, it's the faith of the ones praying. Why don't you ever hear that? Why don't you ever hear a faith healer say, this person didn't get healed. I guess my faith is inadequate. See, if someone is... Now, is he responsible for his own sin? If somebody is in sin, is he responsible for his own sin before God? Yes, absolutely. No question about that. But before I get too enthusiastic about pointing my finger at him and look down on him, I need to face the fact that maybe, just maybe, if I had been more faithful to pray for him... And if I had done a better job nurturing and stimulating his faith, he might not be so messed up. We bear responsibility to rescue one another from the clutches of sin and to restore one another from the consequences of sin. It's our job in the church. And that happens through mutual prayer and mutual confession. If you sat in on a small group in most churches and just listened, you'd probably come away with the idea that no one in the church has any significant struggle with sin. We talk in broad, generic terms about being lowly sinners in need of grace, but how often do you ever hear any specifics? And how often do you ever see any real contrition 
and brokenness. How much healing is available to us that gets left on the table because we don't obey James 5.16 and confess our sins to one another that we might be healed? Now, I realize most churches aren't really set up for this on Sunday mornings. You can't just stand up in the middle of the sermon and say, hey, by the way, you'll never believe what I did this week. With the exception of maybe an addiction recovery group here and there, most church functions have no format where confession of sin could happen without it being a very odd interruption. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to obey this command. The Bible says to do this, so we must find a way to do it. So take a little time right now and think of ways you might be able to move in the direction of being able to obey this command. If there's no Christian in your life you're close enough to to confess your more embarrassing sins, you need to figure out a way to start building at least one close friendship. Join a small group. Get in a mentoring program. Get on a ministry team long-term where you can build trusting relationships. Take some initiative to move in the direction of building a close relationship so that you'll eventually have someone you can confess your sins to, and the other person will also have you that they can confess their sins. We'll talk more about how this looks in the days to come, but for today, just ask, what could I do to move in the direction of having at least one person like this in my life besides my spouse? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Father, you've said that if I keep silent about my sin, my bones will waste away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand will be heavy upon me, and my strength will be sapped as in the heat of summer. But when I acknowledge my sin to you and stop covering up my iniquity and I confess my transgressions, you will forgive the guilt of my sin. May I be among the godly who pray to you while you may be found. Then, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach me. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. Counsel me and watch over me. Don't let me become like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and bridle or they'll not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but your unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in you. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.